0: Right. What is up, Only Playbook fans? We are back for another episode. Week three has officially kicked off. Thursday night football is under wraps last night. Shovet, I'm sorry, your Steelers took another L. Uh, we will talk more about it. I'm Sweet Car. I got show it Friday. TGIF, guys. I'm, I'm sorry, it's not as exciting because show just told us he got rear ended. So I'm trying not mm-hmm. to hype us up too badly. But uh, how you guys doing? Yeah.
1: Yeah, doing pretty good, man. I, um, you know, I set a timer Thursday before Thursday night football to figure out what my lineup is going to be as far as like the pick'em league goes. And this week's games are like literally, I can get a, a coin and just do heads and tails and try to figure out like and just pick whatever you know lands on heads or something. Like, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. It's a tough matchup this whole week.
2: Yeah, man. I'm just, I'm still not over the George Pickens catch from yesterday. Oh my god, I, I heard. Uh, You know, there's like people comparing that to the OBJ catch. And I think it was, you know, there's different levels to what a difficult catch is. And, you know, scoring a touchdown on a deep bomb is one thing. You know, this one wasn't a touchdown. It wasn't really the deepest of bombs. But the level of difficulty on this one was definitely higher.
1: Yeah, dude, full extension, like cupping the ball, like the way he did it. I mean, I it's just it's he almost did it twice. Like he almost got a touchdown. (laughs) Um, catching the ball the same way, but yeah, it was pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, he look he looks good. They needed they need to feed him the ball more, um, especially when the offense isn't seem to be producing as much as they should. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll jump right into that, guys. And without further ado, let's kick things off with water cooler talk. Piggybacking off of that, yep, the Steelers and the Browns played last night, Thursday night football in Cleveland. Browns were favored four and a half over under thirty eight. Interesting stat, before the game where the Jets and Browns played last week and the over-under was 38 or something like that, any over-under over like the last three seasons where it was 38 or lower was 7-0, and the under-hitting, right? So the Jets broke that trend, and a lot of money was on the under last night. But unfortunately, the over-hit, 17-29 final, Browns win, uh, it would have hit even without that garbage touchdown at the end. So, I mean, that uh, I think okay. that would have been awful – But the funny thing is my only bet that I thought was like applicable. I didn't take a bet last night on the line. I was going to tease the Steelers down to 10 and a half and the under at like 44. And if I had done that, that last touchdown, I would have probably flipped my table because I would have been pissed off some garbage lateral crap and they recovered the (laughs) touchdown in the end zone. So you better believe there were some betters out there that did do that, that lost money because of that. But nonetheless, it was a closer game than the final score dictated. Uh, Browns cover the spread over hits. It was pretty much the Nick Chubb show. Everything we talked about, guys, is, is are they going to be able to stop the run? Well, they really weren't able to stop Nick Chubb all that well. And surprisingly enough, Bursett was very, very efficient. I don't, I wouldn't have guessed that Amari Cooper would break out and have 101 yards and a touchdown in Joku with nine catches, 89 yards and a touchdown. I mean, you know, if you, if you picked those guys as touchdown scorers last night, you probably had a crystal eight ball or magic eight ball because that was very, very unlikely. Uh, Steelers defense without Watt, only two sacks produced, no turnovers. They're now 0-7, I believe, or 0-6 in games that TJ Watt doesn't play. So the, 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 the kind of uh, how big and important he is to the defense is, is unparalleled, right? It's like Aaron Donald-esque, I think, at this point. It's pretty safe to say. Uh, Trubisky did protect the football. He was only sacked one time, but they only converted one third-down conversion. So it was just a lot of times on third down, it was really, really hard to move the sticks, and drives were stalled. And when the Browns got the ball, they controlled the clock. They had the ball for 14, 13, 14 minutes longer than the Steelers did last night. So uh, I think it was, it literally played out how we expected it to from a good game script perspective. Browns ran the ball. They controlled the clock. Uh, You know, to note, like you guys mentioned, George Pickens had the nice catch. Um, Najee Harris got in the end zone 15 for 56 on the ground, caught three passes for five yards, did fumble the ball once. Deontay Johnson was the kind of volume guy, eight catches, 84 yards. Uh, Browns are now two and one. Steelers dropped to one and two. Again, they're zero and six without TJ Watt. So, uh, you know, what whatever the future holds for him is really going to dictate. I think how a lot of their season is going to go. And I don't think the future is so bright with this injury. So, um, I know Tomlin came out immediately after saying there were no question marks about quarterback changes. But, Showbet, uh, how did you kind of watch that game? What did you take away from it?
1: Yeah. I mean, the offense is basically in shambles and I think Matt Canada as an offensive coordinator, the guy is just too predictable, right? You you know what he's going to come up with. And um, the only time in the, the second half of the game that they looked decent was when Fryar started catching the balls over the middle at the end of the game. It's like, well, why weren't you just doing that the whole game, right? And so it, it's just it's too predictable. The offense in the shambles, and the defense can't keep up with being on the field for that long. If you're having punts after punts, and you're having to defend, it's just not sustainable. So whether the answer is going to be um, you know you know Kenny Pickett coming in. Or firing their offensive coordinator midseason, Tomlin has never done that. I don't know, but something's got to change where they need to just make their playmakers more involved in the offense. yeah, just shout, anything to add to that.
2: It's the same story, man. I've been saying like it's the same stuff. Like Nick Chubb is really good at football. he's He's benching like six hundred pounds and he's got a cornerback <laughs> trying to tackle him. Like where <laughs> how do you do the math there? You know you, you got to find a way to stop these running backs and teams cannot figure that out. They did have that little moment at the, in the red zone where they had like these goal line stands out of nowhere. That was very impressive. But you know, you can't do it for four plays in a row. So um everything is exactly like how it played out. The Steelers don't like using their weapons. The uh you know, the Browns love using their weapons, and now they found two new weapons: Amari Cooper back-to-back games with touchdowns. You know, maybe the Browns passing game isn't as bad as we kind of chalked them up to be. We just kind of all ignored. Amari cooper just completely in every draft everybody and um and now we're kind of like dang like you know you know who you know who believed in him though uh, sean in our fantasy team he started both Amari cooper and joku before the, you know i always scan through people's teams before like thursday night before monday night before uh sunday morning and i would just laugh at a couple of them like huh, like what are you thinking oh wow you're even thinking even worse oh look at you you didn't do any research and i was looking at sean's team and i'm like wow this guy is an idiot like what are you doing man like you're getting so lucky and bam, two 18 points for like both of them. And I'm like, wow, I'll just shut up now and just let you guys do your thing.
0: I mean, you know, in all honesty, was that a smart start or was, you know, did he just get lucky? I'm going to chalk it up to the ladder. Like I don't think he's going to sit there and start Amari Cooper and Joku every every game of the season, because it's not realistic. I think the reason they succeed is the game script works in their favor where they do so well running the ball. Once they try to come up and stop the run, then those guys are running. Amari Cooper one on one, you're still going to take him, right? He's still a great receiver, but he's in an offense that doesn't throw the ball first. He gets injured, you know, drops passes here and there, but he can still produce. So I, I, you know, I saw the same thing, and I thought the exact same thing. I was like, wow, imagine starting two weapons that are not the running backs (laughs) for the Browns with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. Like I don't think anybody would do that, right? So you know, the fact that it panned out, good for him, but. Um, you know, I also kind of chalk that up to luck because like I showed you guys, you know, I didn't think there were going to be a ton of touchdowns last night scored. So I was having a hard time figuring out who's going to score touchdowns for the Steelers. It was like, I was like, okay, it's either going to be Najee or Trubisky. Right. And wouldn't, you know, if both of those guys scored and then the obvious suspects for the Browns would have been like Chubb and Hunt because they run the ball a lot. Chubb gets in. And if one of those two touchdowns that goes to random and Joku and random Cooper, where the obvious candidate of Nick Chubb you know, we'd have our uh, bachelor party huh. for Sandman's trip paid. So um, it was super, super unfortunate, but, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. And again, kudos to Sean. Sometimes you got to be the ones, but you know, if we sat here and asked him, Hey, Sean, what, what kind of research did you go, you know, go do to no. determine that you're going to do that? He's like, nah, dude, I just went with my gut no, started he, him real quick. He, last
2: he doesn't change his lineup. So he, he's been deploying Joku for like three years in a row now. So that's his strategy. Like when it, uh. when it pays off, it pays off. Otherwise he'll just take it out. He just takes a lot of L's and not enough W's with that strategy.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, Browns won. Browns took care of business. I was impressed that the first two touchdowns for the Browns were passing touchdowns by Brissett. Again, I don't think anybody really expected that. But you're right, Chovit. I think... A change is necessary. I know Tomlin doesn't have a history of doing that, but also Tomlin doesn't have a history of being under 500, right? So if he's seeing the direction that this team is trending towards, action needs to be taken. Whether that's they just need like a jolt of life, like Pickens, wide receiver two, you know, or Pickens is going to see the field a lot, or we're just going to throw Pickett in there because what's the worst that can happen? Trubisky already is playing bad, or let's fire our offensive coordinator because we have weapons and playmakers, but they're not being utilized properly. The, the play calling is super predictable. And that also hurts Najee Harris. Like Najee Harris is a great football player, but when you know you're running the ball or when you know it's going to Najee and you know, your offensive line sucks. Like it's, like you said, the predictability is, is there. And that's where his inefficiency when he runs a football, where he's just carrying the ball for like two, three yards a game where that comes into play because the defense knows they're going to feed Najee. So I think yeah. a lot needs to change. And I think, I think it needs to happen sooner rather than later, because again, Tomlin's not the guy that's going to sit idle and let us let this team go like one and seven. Right. I think, I think, if he sees one and three or one and four, there's definitely going to be some changes made.
1: Yeah. Last thing I'll say about that is that, um, you know, Pickett is his trump card, right? So he doesn't want to play it right away. You know, maybe week six or week seven, like the Steelers are in complete shambles, haven't won a game since then. And then if Kenny Pickett comes in, has a little bit of, you know, decent games throughout the end of the season, that is a reason for Tomlin, for the owners and management to be like, okay, Tomlin is still doing well. We can still keep this guy. we got a future to build on. So, you know, maybe week six, seven is probably when Kenny Pickett still come, will, would come in.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Steelers get the Jets at home next week, right? So, I mean, it's a good opportunity to bounce back there and they get a longer, you know, break because they played on Thursday. Some more time to recoup, regroup, and figure something out. Browns travel to Atlanta next week. Uh, so Browns are 2-1, and one, Steelers are 1-2. and two. Uh, Thursday night football is officially under wraps. Let's jump over to waiver wire or free agency pickups as waivers have already been claimed on Wednesday. Just some names I want to run through here. Uh, Guys who are possibly free agents in more leagues than not could be streaming options could be guys you stash and kind of wait and see Uh, quarterbacks. Obviously there's been quarterbacks that have been hurt. Uh, Dak. um, There's been quarterbacks that have underproduced Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, you know, you name it, right? A lot of quarterbacks that have not lived up to the expectations so you got quarterbacks here sitting in free agency. Tua Tagovailoa is having a phenomenal start to the season. We don't know if that's sustainable. That's definitely something to watch out for. If you're a guy that, again, has one of those quarterbacks, it's not the worst idea to put Tua on your bench and just kind of wait and see and see if this is sustainable in the offense that he now plays in with the weapons that he has. Quarterback Carson Wentz, Shove you and I both started Carson Wentz last week, and he had a phenomenal game. So uh, pretty happy about that. He's still available in roughly 48% of leagues. Tua was available in about 38% of leagues. So those are quarterback streaming options of teams that you expect either to be down or deploy throwing the ball a little bit more. Commanders, you're expecting them to be losing a lot. Tua has too many weapons now to not throw the ball. So I think just by default, they're going to use to look to get Waddle and Hill involved, seeing how successful it's been the first two weeks. Uh, and then quarterback Jared Goff, he's available in 78% of leagues. It's not flashy, it's not sexy, but you know, what is sexy is Amandre St. Brown. And so when you're the quarterback for a receiver named Amandre St. Brown, you're probably, you know, worthy of a look, especially knowing that um, this offense is expected to throw the ball. They're expected to score a lot of points and their defense gives up a lot of points. So they're going to be in games where they have to score and be in shootouts and probably down a lot. So Goff is another, you know, not sexy, but productive fantasy replacement. And Jimmy G, man, good old reliable Jimmy G, he is officially back to starting. Obviously, that changes the perception of the offense. Knowing that the running backs are down and they only have Jeff Wilson, not Justin, Jeff Wilson, they're going to have to throw the ball a little bit more. So I think that makes Jimmy G a fantasy option. Obviously, again, worthy of a look, given the fact that these guys, the Russell Wilsons, the Rodgers, the Bradys, and the burrows have all completely underperformed.
2: And uh, don't forget, Kittle's likely to play this week.
0: Yeah, George Kittle is... Uh, going to play. So I don't know if that you know bodes well for kittle owners to deploy him because he no, can just be blocking no, 60 snaps. Uh, it, it it bodes
2: for everybody not named Kittle's owners. It's just a good person to have back on the field. Yeah, I agree. For the for the running game yeah. to,
0: to, to draw away from the receivers to kind of space this space the uh field for Garoppolo all of that.
1: I feel like the 49ers just got incredibly better all of yeah. a sudden. It just yeah, right? happened. Yeah. <laughs> like they can go back into NFC championships. Uh, just like they did last year, like, or at least conference.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. I mean, I think it, it, it's a weird thing, right? That they lose their franchise quarterback and the backup that they were trying to trade is actually putting the team in a better win now situation than the franchise quarterback would have so-called done. So uh yeah, it, it's a weird, it's a weird, like glass half full, glass half empty situation if you're a 49ers fan, the way you're kind of viewing it. But uh, I mean, again, if I'm a Debo Samuel owner, if I'm a Brandon Ayuk owner, if I'm a Jeff Wilson owner, Uh, maybe even if I'm a kiddle owner, you're probably pretty excited that Jimmy G is the quarterback and not trade lands. Running backs, Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert is still available in roughly half of the leagues. um, in terms of kind of what I looked at this morning. He is obviously somebody that we wanted to talk about because for a week it looked like Chase Edmonds was finally going to be the guy. He's finally going to get the kind of get his due. But I think the reality of the situation is Edmonds is a great change of pace, he's a great catching back, but he's not a three-down back, and I don't think he ever will be. So Mostert comes in here and not only runs the ball but he had his share of catching the ball they love to throw Tua loved to dump the ball up he was throwing the ball like 50 60 times and so you know you can't throw it to Waddle and uh, Hill and Gusecki every play so the running backs have been getting worked and uh, some work in so I think Mostert's is a night's nice pickup if he's available uh, Connor's injury for the Cardinals means that Daryl Williams and you know Benjamin come into play here they're available in just about every league right now unless they're being rostered as a handcuff but those are guys that you can look at if you're really, really struggling with the running back position because you went wide receiver heavy, or you guys you have guys that are hurt or not performing. Those are guys that deserve a look, obviously in an offense with Kyler Murray. Uh, and recently, Josh Jacobs has come down with an illness, and he did not travel with the team, so his status is still up in the air for Sunday. So it doesn't mean that he's out, but the fact that he didn't travel with the team means he's going to have to travel separately to show up to the game if he's if he's sick, if he's whatever. There's really no need for them to force him to travel to the team uh, to, with the team wherever they're going here. Um, and so, with that being said, Zamir White is a guy that deserves a look. They do have Brandon Bolden, they do have Amir Abdullah, but Zamir White's the rookie, he's the uh, more exciting player. So there is an opportunity for him to get a look, and he's probably available in just about every league. So uh, he does warrant a last-minute pickup and just stash on your bench in case Jacobs can't go on Sunday. Wide receivers, Garrett Wilson should no longer be a free agent. If he is, your league is probably just behind the eight ball. Garrett Wilson should be rostered. He should probably be starting. So Garrett Wilson for the Jets is a receiver. If he's on your free agency, you're going to pick him up. Jahan Dodson, he's another guy that is continuing to inke- increase his productivity. I know, again, there's mouths to feed there, but he's a rookie receiver. He gets separation because of his route running, and so Wentz likes to find him in the red zone. And so guys that can catch touchdowns are automatically going to be valuable. Giants receiver Sterling Shepard had a good game last week, and the Giants are still searching for, you know, uh, receivers that are going to be consistent, if you will. And so, you know, it can't just be the Richie James show. I don't think he's going to be the guy. They refuse to deploy Kadarius Toney the way he deserves to be deployed. Kenny Galladay's locker room got emptied out and he's pretty much just, I don't even know, not if he's part of the team or I don't know what his situation is at this point, Uh, but Sterling Shepard definitely deserves a look if he's still a free agent. And then Cowboys receiver, Noah Brown. Uh, CeeDee Lamb is still there. Gallup is still hurt. We don't know if he's going to play this week. There's been really nobody else that they've thrown the ball to, Dalton Schultz. Uh, And knowing that it's Cooper Rush, I don't know how much value Noah Brown has, but the Cowboys are going to be down a lot, so they're going to have to throw. So even if it's just garbage time points, Noah Brown is a guy that's at least getting volume early in the season. And in terms of tight ends, real quick, Gerald Everett rostered in about 40 or available in about 43% of leagues. He's getting a ton of looks for that offense with the Rams and Evan Ingram. I hate Evan Ingram. He is really, really bad, but he still produces in fantasy because if you're getting the volume and you're catching even half of your passes, if you're getting targeted 10 times, it's yeah, it's it's still, it's a stretch. It's a stretch, I know, but um, he is still available as a tight end for streaming tight ends. Which I know, if you don't have like the top three tight ends this year, even if you have Pitts, who's been a completely underperformer, people are probably like, "Hey, is it really make sense to run Pitts out there every week, or does it make sense to find somebody who is on the field and getting targets when Kyle Pitts clearly is not?" So, those are some waiver wire fantasy free agent pickup options that you guys, you know, should look into in your, in your leagues and in your rosters to see if those guys are available. Anybody else that I may have
1: missed
2: mm, more? There's, there's a couple more tight ends, like Irv Smith is probably still free agent. Um, he'd be definitely be a worth, uh, look because looks like anytime the receivers are kind of bothered, he's going straight to Irv Smith. Um, I mean, you can make a case for Ryan Tannehill this week. He plays Las Vegas, Las Vegas pass rushes for some reason struggling and, um, quarterbacks are getting all day to throw. Um, and a lot of people have given up on players like, uh, Melvin Gordon, uh, I'm seeing him in a lot of free agencies. That's one injury away from an RB1. So, you know, mm-hmm. rather than keeping Zamir White on your bench, where you're having to compete with Abdullah and Bolden, uh, bar, you know, even if there is an injury to Jacobs, you still don't know if you have an RB1. Players like Melvin Gordon, who are now free agents in a lot of places are worth the stash because you you could have a season, uh, changing player if something happens.
0: Yeah, let's hope the and, Broncos and, offense figures it out.
2: They will. They will. I think they will. It may not be, you know, Russell Wilson of 2015 kind of thing, but they'll definitely figure it out. And one last thing is Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas is available on a lot of teams. He was he was up there with Kelsey and Andrews and um, Kittle when we were talking about best tight ends uh, three years ago. However, he gets hurt every year, and he just scores a lot of touchdowns and leaves, scores a touch, bunch of touchdowns and leaves. So he's really good. Um, just, you know, players like... Irv Smith and Thomas, just keep a lookout just in a world of really bad tight ends and uh, the cop pits is all over the place. Just make sure you find, uh, keep an eye out for these guys who you know are going to produce if they see the field.
0: That's it for Water Cooler Talk. Let's jump into the rundown. First game on Sunday kicks us off with the Texans traveling to Chicago to take on the Bears. Bears at home, two and a half point favorites over under sitting at 39. Uh, Justin Fields, you know, throwing the least amount of passes in the NFL, but he is worthy of a streaming option here against the Texans defense. Uh, I think what I'm really watching out for is we really, really need a wide receiver on the bears team to show up. I think there's gotta be somebody that establishes themselves as a true target for fields to, you know, go to whenever the going gets tough or whenever, whenever he's scrambling, whenever he needs to find somebody to just chunk it up to. I mean, we expected Mooney to be the guy, but again, they're just not throwing the ball a lot. I know they had one week where they were planning a monsoon, so it's really hard to chalk that up to anything, but this is a good bounce-back week for the Bears. They're at home. They're favored. They're against into weak Texans team, and their offense needs to get going, so look for a receiver to really separate themselves as the receiver one there. Uh, I think Damon Pierce, the running back on the, te- the Texans side, 11 carries week one, 15 carries week two. Let's look for that to continue to bump up. Uh, Bears are a nice team to continue to feed in the ball because I don't expect this game to be lopsided one way or another. So if it's relatively close, I think the Texans can continue to run the ball. And both teams are bottom three in the league in yards per game and bottom seven in points per game. So that's why the over under sitting at 39. Don't expect a shootout. I mean, could very well happen because two teams that are very bad. But I'm expecting a low-scoring affair. There should be a decent amount of running the football. Shashot, uh, your consistent force and David Montgomery looks to probably have a nice game this game. Um, But I'm looking for running backs to get going. I think Fields has an option, you know, is a streaming option if he can run one in for a touchdown and he continues to utilize his legs to make him fantasy relevant. But other than that, I mean, there's really not a ton I'm looking forward to in this first game on Sunday.
2: Next game up, we have the Raiders at Titans. Uh, Las Vegas is favored by two points over under is at 45 and a half. Do we get burnt again by keeping the Raiders just at this little spot that we have them in our brain as this high powered scoring offense. And they're just always going to hit the overs, whoever they play. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think we need to kind of take a step back and realize this is the worst team in their division. I know it's been two weeks, but they have a lot of faults. Their offensive line is atrocious right now. Um, Their offensive linemen are bad and they're missing a lot of players. It's not, you know, it's, it's basically just Devonta Adams out there right now and Waller. Um, Jacobs is not going to make it most. It's confusing. We're we're not sure yet. And even if he misses it, there's just a bunch of nobodies in the backfield playing their roles. There's no fear back there. You know, no one's going to stack the box against the Raiders. It's just a lot of coverage and a lot of, um, you know, uh, just no one is afraid. No one is afraid of this team that was supposed to be this high powered offense team. They found a way, uh, you know, to make uh, Devonta Adams, seemed like a nobody last week. Like, in what world would Aaron Rodgers ever let that happen? No way, right? You find a way to get them the ball. They just, they're just not playing the football that we kind of imagined them to play. Like, they're not playing like this 86 overall Madden team that they seem to be. Um, and, you know, teams like this are who the Titans take advantage of. The Titans have forever taken advantage of things like this. Anytime we kind of just count them out, they found, find a way to get back in. What better time? To figure yourself out than playing a Raiders team who doesn't even know their own identity. So, you know, I'm not panicking about the Titans this game after looking at what happened against the bills, the bills are going to do that to a lot of teams this year. So get used to that feeling. Um, and I think Derek Henry, you know, he's, he's going to be able to take care of the Raiders pretty handsomely. I'm not too worried about him there. People are even th- thinking about benching uh, Henry for some, you know, players like Pierce, you know, like at, at what point are you just like, You don't know what you're doing, and you're just looking at the projections and just, you know, like, take a chill pill, okay? Like, uh, how many times I have to preach this week four thing? We're at week three. We're almost there. It's almost time to panic about Derek Henry, but he has to do it two more times for you to panic about him. So, you know, deploy your starters with full force, uh, knowing that both these teams are kind of, you know, actually, the, t- the, t- uh, the Titans aren't really that weak on defense. So the Titans' uh, rush game is still pretty on point. That's the only thing going for them right now. So if the Raiders are disrupted uh, in the passing game in any way and they cannot run the ball, uh, I don't see a world where the Titans don't kind of do their own Titan magic and find a way to beat a Raiders team. Uh, this is what he does. This is what the Titans do really well, the head coach. Uh, even Ryan Tannehill is a really good game manager. I know, I know he's not the best quarterback uh, per se, but he's a good game manager. And um, I think at, at this point that that uh, uh, Raiders uh, two, uh, minus two, looking really, really good from a Titans standpoint.
0: Yeah, being at home, home underdogs, again, like you said, this is exactly how I read this game. This is a classic Titans bounce back because they're at home, they're underdog, they can control the clock. Derrick Henry can get the ball 30 times here uh, with this defensive front for the Raiders that for whatever reason has not been able to you know pressure and sustain the pressure with Chandler Jones and Max Crosby. So. Um, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, I don't expect the Titans to just continue to lose every game. They still have, they still have Derrick Henry and they still have a offensive line that can run block for him. So I think you're right. I think if the Titans can control the clock, you know, I, I don't hate a home underdog bet for a Tennessee team that literally was the number one seed in the AFC last year.
1: Yeah. I've seen the movie. I remember. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you remember those Titans? Uh...
1: All right, next up, we've got the Chiefs at Colts. So so the line right now is at minus five and a half. Favorite in Kansas City. um, Over and under is at 50 and a half. Mahomes last week deployed... Uh, through passes to nine different receivers. And the main guy that he was targeting was none other than uh, Travis Kelsey. So how is Indy going to favor with that? It's going to, uh, it's going to be tough to see. And I, and they have Stefan Gilmore, who's just one guy, right? So if, if uh, Patrick Mahomes out here, just picking and choosing his targets, I think it'll be a tough day for uh, the Colts this week. Um, Indianapolis last week played Trevor Lawrence and they allowed a passer rate of 121.5, two touchdowns um, last week. So, you know, they're going against Patty Mahomes, and my sentiment is that they're going to have a tough time. Lucky for them, they are getting back Michael Pittman, Um, and I'm not sure about Al Pierce, but – I think he's back back too. too. Great. So the two receivers, that the top two receivers are coming back. Um, And then, you know, Jonathan Taylor is that home run guy, right? So if they can um, utilize all of their talents, as far as the receivers and running backs go, they may have a chance. Um, But Kansas City last week uh, allowed zero runs of greater than 10 plus yards. So can they stop Jonathan Taylor? And really that's what it boils down to. If you stop them and uh, you continue doing what you're doing on offense in the last two weeks, then uh, Kansas City will come out with a win uh, in this game.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the the Colts are in a weird position. They're oh one and one, right? I think they tied a game and they yeah. lost twenty-four-nothing to the Jaguars. Now they're at home with the possibility to go, you know, 0 and two or oh two-and-one. Uh the the problem with them is their defense. How are they gonna stop the Chiefs? Shaq Leonard's not playing again, right? And he's their best defensive player. So uh until they get him back, he's such an enforcer on defense that he can he can set the he can set the run defense up by being there and force teams to throw, but he's such a he's a good enough coverage, uh cover linebacker that he can drop back, right? But when there's no there's no Shaq Leonard, I just think the entire middle of the field is open. So this this could be a game where Patrick Mahomes is running a lot of HB draws, and we see a lot of CEH, we see a lot of Jarek McKinnon. Uh, and you know, they may not have to be in a shootout, they can just get every first down, milk clocks, and then Patty's gonna find Kelsey in the end zone or whoever. So it it could it could be bad for the Colts quick in the sense that Taylor only had nine carries last week. If they go down early this this week again, it, you know it kind of takes Jonathan Taylor out of the game, which it shouldn't. In reality, it shouldn't because he's so good. Like get him the ball in space, throw him some screens, throw him some you know uh, wheel routes or whatever you want to do to get him involved. But if they go down and Matt Ryan continues to look like how he's looked, where he's so slow, he just you know he's not really reading through his progressions because he doesn't have enough time. Um, this game could get out of hand quick. I don't know why though Colts at home with such a good run game, like Jonathan Taylor being five and a half point underdogs. I know it's the chiefs. I know it's the chiefs. I know it's Patrick Mahomes. I know it's scary, but this feels kind of like a trap line to me. I don't know why I think the Colts have a chance to backdoor cover this or cover the spread. The chiefs should still win. I mean, if they don't win, I think it'd be surprising, but five and a half points at home as an underdog with the best running back in football, which again, can be a game changer for you. Seems like a lot of points. But you know, if I've learned anything while Patrick Mahomes has been in the league, it's to never doubt Patrick Mahomes. So um, you know, I'm just I'm just kind of saying just enough to pivot both ways, regardless
1: of how the outcome of this game comes. Because <laughs> yeah, because it's a of,
0: little she's yeah. let you
1: down, right? As far as the spread goes. I don't like taking that negative five and a half, they've let you down often. So it's hard to yeah. make that they're, bet. they're
0: they're the classic team that will just like not really care and then have like a game winning drive to win the game by like one or two points not cover the spread but they don't give a shit about the spread they just care about winning the game and that's usually what they'll do so uh five and a half at home as long as the colts can establish the run early let's say they go up they get the ball the first possession and jonathan taylor runs all over the chiefs and they score and they're up seven nothing this game could go completely different but you know if it's a three and out or if the chiefs go down go go down and score and they go up seven nothing i mean dude we could look at another riot that takes us to arguably the biggest matchup of the week. The Buffalo Bills are traveling to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Bills on the road, favored by five and a half points over under sitting at 52 and a half. This is a game that I am expecting to be a shootout. And I think I think it's really easy to see why. I I mean, the Dolphins couldn't stop the Ravens, right? Josh Allen and his offense is has much more firepower, in my opinion, than the Ravens. And right now the bills look like they cannot be stopped. Like nothing is getting in their way. The only thing that's going to get in the bills way is themselves. Now the, the other side of that is the bills defense has been pretty good, but Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are both hurt. Uh, Poyer did practice today. Hyde is dealing with a neck injury. So when you have, you know, Tredavious white's been hurt. So to make up for their corners, they've been utilizing this two safeties that are literally both like all pros. If even one of those guys is hurt, I mean, Dude, Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill should have a field day as long as Tua can find them. So, I I think the secondary, as long as as long as Tua is getting protection, which this offensive line seems like it's been holding up early part of this season, I don't. I'm expecting this game to be a lot of points. Like, I think I think the Bills are going to score. I don't think the Dolphins are going to have any really any ability to stop the Bills' offense, especially if Gabe Davis is back, which I expect him to be. They have his over under receptions at three and a half, which seems so incredibly low to me that I I mean I would. I would personally hammer the over that Gabe Davis is going to catch four balls if he plays. But knowing that injury? the Oh my God. You just put me on the spot. I can't knee. remember. Was it? I don't remember. Hold on. Don't
2: worry about it. Uh, what are you saying?
0: No, I mean, I, th- I think it's, I think it's still important to know. I'm, I'm just going to look real quick. Do, 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 do. Not much of a limp. He was running practice. Well, Ankle? Was it? If it's yeah. If he, if he's like ankle. limping, I got to say something about ankle or knee or something in the leg. Is it ankle?
2: I think it is ankle. Let okay. Yeah. That so, so
0: me. nonetheless, if Gabe Davis is playing, I think, I think he's a full go. I think over three and a half receptions is, is, is a really, really very, very sexy line that I would, I would probably hammer if I'm a betting man. But again, all, all of that to say, I think points are going to be had here. I just think Buffalo is not going to be stopped. And if Buffalo is not stopped, the Dolphins are going to be down, which means they're going to have to throw again. And if either one of these safeties, or if there's an off chance that both Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are out, I mean, there's going to be points scored. So uh, yeah, sore ankle, sore ankle, right? So um, yeah, I think there's going to be points scored. The, the spread is again, uh, you know, I, one thing I told myself was until the bills let me down, I'm going to continue to the ride them. but it's week three and I'm already, you know, as, as great as the bills are, you know, betting is not so straightforward. So on the road, five and a half point uh, favorites in Miami, after Miami's coming off such a high last week, I don't know. I, I don't really know how to read that betting line. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on it, if you guys expect the Bills to just run the Dolphins out of the water, but after seeing the way Waddle and, uh, and Tua and, and Hill took apart this Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey uh, secondary with basically no cornerbacks and only safeties with both safeties kind of limping. I, I mean, I expect this to be a shootout. Is there any other way this game's going to go?
2: I mean, you know, we're, pretty sure the Bills are going to score a lot of points, right? What we're not sure about is the Dolphins scoring a lot of points. And um, I, um as much as, as well as Tua played, and, you know, Steve, uh, Steve Young, the former left-handed Super Bowl winning quarterback, loves Tua. You know, he's like, he's on, uh, what's it called? Sunday night football or Monday night football. One of those with uh, Robert Griffin and Boomer, uh, Booger, Booger. And is uh, the only Booger's the only one that has been you know not liking Tua and Robert Griffin and um, Steve Young have been trying to explain to him over the last month or so that um, Steve uh, that Tuas can make things happen in this offense. And most recently, he just said uh, he broke down a video where he's like showing how the quarterback moves in the pocket. and uh, and it shows Tua before Mike McDaniel and after Mike McDaniel and how much confidence he's gained, the poise he has. Like, he was doing, like, fadeaway throws from the left, like, running throws. And now, if you look at him, he looks a lot like Steve Young. Like, I I know I'm jumping the gun really early here. But this is Steve Young comparing him to himself. So, um, it shows a lot of passes where the pocket's uh, collapsing and he's, like, still stoic. You know, he's not, like, moving much. He's taking a sack if, if, if it comes to him, but he's trusting his linemen to give him just that amount of time to where elite receivers get open. So, if that type of confidence is sustainable for that team, then there's really nothing they can't do. But it's week three, you know, like we have a sample size of one game where he didn't do much and one game where he had one of the greatest games quarterbacks ever had. So I think I I don't want to give the Dolphins this crown of an offensive powerhouse yet. I think that's going to be another week four thing to decide. But if they can keep up with the Bills, like I'm expecting them to lose against the Bills, but if they can keep up with the Bills where the score is within 10 points in the fourth quarter, then I'm like, oh, holy shit, okay. Uh, you know let, let, let's put some let's put this team on notice let, let's see what else they can do
0: yeah definitely definitely buying some Dolphin stock if they can keep this game close with the Bills Um, yeah and like you said I don't think anybody's not expecting the Bills to win this game but it's hard not to factor in how crazy that offense looked for the yeah. Dolphins last week
2: yeah and the injuries you're absolutely right um, absolutely right the Bills are definitely injured and they just lost another cornerback to that scary uh, spine injury so yep, they're decimated they're decimated. They're just far, seven does a really, really good job that most teams don't even get a chance to throw the ball that far enough to where the secondary does anything. So we'll see. We'll see. But keep in mind, the Bills are decimated and that could play a role against really good offensive teams. So we'll see what happens. Um, next game we have up is the Minnesota Vikings versus the Detroit Lions. Vikings are at home, favored by six points. Over-under is at 52 and a half. This is just the classic Vikings bounce back game against a weaker team if we've seen anything in the last five years as a vikings fan it's we just get destroyed by really good teams and we manhandle the bad teams it used to be the opposite back in the day not anymore but kirk cousins vikings just gets murdered on uh primetime tv and then comes back and when nobody else is watching just manhandles and <laughs> i have to go to, and then i have to go to school and be like did you see that down cook run?" and they're like no no we didn't see it i'm like you would have seen it you know what i mean like this classic Vikings. Yeah. just just chalk it up. Chalk it up. Twelve oh, o'clock slate
0: against the Lions, you know, no exactly. one's watching except Detroit and Minnesota, and that's when he's at his best.
2: Right, right. So that that's kind of what I'm assuming, you know, a twelve o'clock beatdown, but we are playing against the sun god who probably thrives at twelve o'clock based on his name alone. Uh St. Brown is on pace to be one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. He's the first player with six straight games with eight receptions and a touchdown during that span. Um to start off his career. That's insane. Nobody saw this coming, right? I had him at the end of last year, made the playoffs with a very decimated team because of our Monterey St. Brown. And I failed to just pass him up. He stayed on our top of our boards for a long time and Shelby kind of felt like he has to force to pick him up. And it's, and it's making, uh you know, making his team pretty good because it's of that paying rugby. dividends. Exactly. Exactly. You know who else uh, it's playing, paying dividends too. And it's Jared Goff. Jared Goff right now has the second best offensive line in football. Second. Number two, sample size two games, but number two, you know, that's, it's a big deal. That's a big deal. And that tells me Jared Goff is startable in fantasy. I don't care who's back there, right? If you have an offensive line that can give you time, these are NFL quarterbacks that have been through, been through many stages of leaning out processes and they've made it this far. And a lot of the times the, the Josh Rosens are just flukes, you know, the Brock Osweilers, those are just flukes. Most of the NFL quarterbacks are good at what they do. And all of them will be really good if they have a good offensive line. So what I'm seeing out of this Lions team is a really bad defense, still a bad defense, and a really good offensive line. Thus, running back scoring fantasy points, quarterback scoring fantasy points, the usual suspects on the receiving end scoring fantasy points. Um, so it all boils down to the offensive line. Can the Vikings pass rush, who we paid a bunch of money to keep both of them around, can they make their way to the quarterback? Are we going to meet at the quarterback or are we going to have a week two session where we're hovering around the tight end? So we'll see. We'll see. That's, that's going to play a big role. See if Jared Doff gets any sort of pressure at all. Um, And then all the Vikings fantasy points should be just coming up, coming up hard this game. Uh, Like I mentioned, you know, we're over the primetime hump um, and now it's just a regular old 12 o'clock game where Vikings do incredible things. So I think a lot of Vikings points are coming here. Um, keep in mind the Lions do have an advantage because the Vikings best player on defense who kind of dictates the whole team. Harrison Smith is out for this game. That's a big deal, especially with the young receivers they have and DJ Tark extending the field and uh, Vikings cornerbacks are really bad. You know, Cam Dancer was probably the best cornerback we had out there and he made, he was the reason they scored a deep touchdown on the 50 yard play. Um, so yeah, this Viking secondary is bad, Lions secondary is bad. Vikings wide receivers are good. Lions wide receivers are good. Lions offensive line is good. Vikings is a little okay. Uh, both running backs are great. So it's it's a very close team. You know, I think this is going to be a really uh, good matchup. I think it's going to come down to Vikings being the home field advantage uh, team. And I think they're going to take advantage of that home field advantage. So I think that's just going to be a fourth quarter Vikings squeeze out a seven to 10 point win game.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very worried. Like the offensive line thing has me super worried just because the Vikings last week against Philly could get no pressure at all on Jalen Hurts. And so if we're not sending blitzes, if we're just going to continue to be the most covered to running team in the NFL through two weeks, which is just so ridiculous. Um, then we're literally just going to let Jared Goff of all people sit back there and carve us up. because the I'm St. Brown's going to be yeah. open uh, pretty much every play. So um Yeah, there definitely is a fear factor here for me. It doesn't feel like a traditional Vikings-Lions games that it's felt like in years past, especially with the Lions, you know, putting up, what, 30-plus points in back-to-back weeks. So um, that offense can definitely score, and our defense, you know, last week looked like they couldn't stop anybody. So um, we'll see. We'll see if the Vikings are more of who we saw them to be in Week 1 or who we saw them to be in Week 2. I think Week 3 is going to be a good uh, uh, turning point for the season to know kind of which way we're headed. But, again, don't sleep on this Detroit Lions team, man. Six-point underdogs, you know, again, divisional game. Their offense is clicking. And, you know, if the Vikings' defense doesn't show up, this could be another shootout.
1: Man, that news about Monterey St. Brown, uh, it's just music to my ears, man. I've got him in both of my leagues this year, and he's definitely the reason I'm doing well. So it's good to hear.
2: Are you 2-0 oh in the other league, too?
1: I am 1-1 one and one because I played against someone that went, like, like Lamar Jackson I think on week 2 and he had yeah. Uh, game. points
2: yeah 48 points
1: yeah. yeah all right next up speaking of Lamar Jackson uh the Baltimore Ravens will be at New England Patriots um and Baltimore is favored by 3 points and the over under is at 44 points on that game so the biggest challenge that the Patriots will have is going to be stopping Lamar Jackson so I'm sure Bill Belichick's going to be out there scheming With uh, his uh, defensive line, Matt Judon, who's got the speed to keep up with Lamar Jackson, whether it's going to be enough or not. We shall see. Probably not. But, um, you know, it's going to be an interesting, interesting game because, you know, just because Bill Belichick, you know, he might find a way to stop him. Um, Ravens offensive line is also really good. Last game, they allowed zero um sacks and zero QB hits to Lamar Jackson so he was very very protect he was protected as well so um you know it's going to be will, will the Patriots be able to get through and penetrate and get to uh, Lamar we shall see um the Ravens do need to do a better job on third down, though. So last week, um, you know, the, the third down conversions was a, a significant reason to why they weren't able to close out the game, um, punting the ball on fourth, uh, you know, punting the ball in, fourth, in the fourth quarter often, giving the Dolphins a chance. So they need to be able to convert on third downs. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's it's a fun matchup. I still think the Ravens come in and and win uh, this game. Um, but they do need to clean up a lot of things on offense before um, you know. We, I, I'll say that they'll they'll go out and win for sure.
0: Dude, they need to get Justin Tucker in field goal range more. Like it seems like that's happening less this year. Whether it's like they're just scoring touchdowns or they're just punting the ball, but you have the best kicker ever of all time. Like let's get him some more field goal attempts. I don't care if they're fifty, 50, 60 yarders. Like get he he. If there's anybody that deserves those looks, it's Justin Tucker, right? And and that's a lot of times the difference in, you know, why the Dolphins were able to come back last, last week is um, either the Ravens were scoring touchdowns or they were just punting the football. And then it's, it felt like at one point they were punting the football a ton and, you know, not really driving the ball. And, and that's when, you know, the Dolphins were able to come back. So uh, let's utilize, you know, rare, it's very rare that I say, let's utilize the kicker, but it's Justin Tucker, (laughs) man. It's the best kicker in the world. Like get him some more opportunities because that's the difference between a one score game and a two score game, right? Just those three points. So I think that, that, I, if there's, if there's something that I'm looking for, which again, I think she and I've talked about how this Ravens defense is kind of flawed. Their cornerbacks are flawed. And, and it's not really all that. It's, it used to be like this moxie or this aura around the Ravens defense. And they've drafted some players and they're still trying to build that back up. But as of now, again, I'm not afraid of Marcus Peters. I'm not afraid of Marlon Humphrey at all. Like that, that secondary is poo poo. So like, they're going to be able to throw the ball. Um, and if it seems like the Patriots can throw the ball on you, that's when you know, you're really in trouble.
2: Yeah, so um, that triple stack of Lamar Jackson, Justin Tucker, and Mark Andrews is working really well in my other, other league. So um, yeah, it's, it's working pretty well. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend yeah, it.
0: That's a, that sounds amazing. I would love that triple stack
2: right now. Is, is there a better triple stack? Is there a better triple stack?
0: Um, I mean, last year, I, 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 I could have said like, you know, Burrow, Chase, and McPherson. Um,
2: That's true. But That's if, true.
0: even then, like the quarterback is such a different. Like Lamar, when he's running, is just such an X factor from a fantasy perspective that even if Burrow throwing five hundred yards and five touchdowns, Lamar can run for like hundred yards and a touchdown and make up the difference.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, the The good thing about these kind of stacks is that each position can get the most points in their position that week, right? Like Lamar yep. can get forty eight points. Andrews yep. can get twenty eight points, and then Tucker yep. can get fifteen to eighteen points. So. Yeah, so it's highly recommended. Next year, a different strategy if you want to go down that route. Next Next up, we have
0: the Bengals and the Jets. Speaking of Joe Burrow, the Bengals looking to bounce back and not start the season 0-3. 0-3 starting the season would probably spell trouble for that team in that division. So they get a favorable matchup. They're on the road against the Jets. They're favored by six points on the road against the Jets team that had a really, really nice comeback against the Browns last week. Over-under sitting at 45 um you know I think the name of this game is Joe Burrow needing protection man he needs to be protected and he needs to protect the football the Bengals are last in the NFL in turnover differential minus four through two games and the Bengals have allowed the most sacks in the NFL 13 sacks through two games so again I don't think you can win a game if you're turning the ball over more than the other team and I don't think you can win a game if your your drives are stalling because you're getting sacked way too many times right so you're just behind the eight ball way too often that's pretty basic math in the NFL if you're getting sacked and you're in second and longs, third and longs, whatever, like it's just going to be that much harder to convert. Even if you have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, so uh, Burrow needs to get protected. And again, it, I, I know the offensive line sucks, but even if the offensive line sucks, that doesn't that doesn't give Burrow the um, uh, what am I thinking of? Like he he doesn't get a pass to turn the ball over just because his offensive line sucks is what I'm saying right so your offensive line sucks I get that but you need to figure out a way to adjust and that doesn't necessarily mean you take strip sack fumbles that doesn't mean you just force the ball to throw interceptions clearly it's been two games clearly they're turning the ball over and getting sacked too much so that's going to be something that needs to get stopped Um, Jets defense looks actually you know somewhat decent I know the Browns scored a lot of points on them but Sauce Gardner has looked good um so i you know that that's an interesting matchup who he's going to get lined up with whether it's jamar chase t higgins whether it's a combination of both of them but um the, i think the one thing on the jet side is Brees hall's usage has started to creep up a little bit uh so that's an encouraging to see if he drafted Brees hall and we talked about this guy garrett wilson garrett wilson seems like as of now he should just be a must start like i, I think I don't know a situation where maybe you're not starting Garrett Wilson. Maybe you went receiver heavy and he's your fourth receiver in that case, like you're pretty stacked, but if Garrett Wilson is on your roster, you're probably going to be hard pressed to not start that guy. So uh, he looks really, really good. Um, Bengals have to have to win this game. I really, really thought about teasing the Bengals down to a pick them because I just don't see a world where they start. zero and three. And if they do again, their season's kind of, it's going to be really, really hard to bounce back from that. So uh, in my eyes, the Bengals are in a must-win situation. There's really not very many teams that you'd want to face in a must-win situation like the Jets. So they're, they're in a favorable spot. But let's see if they can get the job done.
2: Next up, we have Eagles at the Commanders. Philadelphia is favored to win uh, six and a half and uh, over-unders at 47. Um, I'm calling this the Carson Wentz revenge game. Um, you know, he was, he's was been booed out of that area. I went to another area. I got booed out of there. And now he's feeling some love, feeling some love in the commander's world with a new name and a new regime and just new everything. Let's see if week three has something new to bring in Carson Wentz's uh, favor. Um, I'd be happy for him if they could take down the Eagles. However, my happiness is not how the NFL works. The Eagles are one of the most complete teams, if not the most complete team in the NFC. Uh, I can't think of a team more complete, to be honest with you. Um, Let me know if you guys think of one in the NFC. That could probably put up a fight. Maybe the 49ers, maybe the 49ers. But outside of that, it's pretty much fair game for everybody. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not liking the commander's defensive line right now. They're not doing a good job of pa- uh, rushing the passer at all. I mentioned the Raiders earlier. The commander's are three or four teams lower than the Raiders as far as passing passing attack goes. Um, and the commander's running. Offense isn't that great either. They're actually really bad at that too. So there's two glaring deficits in their uh in their you know team there's two huge if not the two most important parts of what a lot of people would say are like the bread and butter of football the pass rush and the run game they're bad at both of those they're strictly thriving off of these weird passes Carson Wentz is making and Carson Wentz isn't playing that great either actually to be honest with you uh his deep throw rate has been like a success rate of 50 percent it's either near the receiver or so far away from the receiver we're still seeing bad from Carson Wentz don't let the fantasy points cloud your judgment this isn't a good quarterback right now this isn't a quarterback you're like oh he's still ready he's taking the next step no from a fantasy pers- perspective you see that but there's still throws like, if you look back at these throws that he's making really significantly bad throws that could be interceptions so you know looking talking about all three of those things Carson Wentz's odd type of play that the commander's not being able to rush the commanders not running the ball well either. They have to play mistake-free football to beat the Eagles. And I'm not sure if they're going to play mistake-free football to beat the Eagles. I see a Eagles 31 to 17 beatdown. Um, you know, the Commanders are at home and they do have some weapons on offense, but like I said, man, football is a multifactorial game. That's what I love it. That's why I love it so much. You have to be good at a lot of things, and the Commanders are bad at a lot of things. So, from a fantasy perspective, I would deploy all your favorite Commanders wide receivers again uh just don't get don't get strung up on the rookie hype Those are still touchdowns that's not volume volume is the king in fantasy still so if you have a volume wise wide receiver do not get cute and start playing players that have scored touchdowns touchdowns are great if you're a tight end but if you're a wide receiver that's there's not that many mike evans out there you cannot chase touchdowns when it comes to wide receivers you have to chase volume um so that being said, Eagles side, everything's the usual suspects. You, you start Miles Sanders. I don't know why I'm saying this first time. Second time I've probably said that in my life. Uh, you start Miles Sanders, you start Hurts, and you start Goddard, and you start um, A.J. Brown. Everybody else has to still take a step back. Another week four thing to dabble into. If A.J. Brown goes down, who's the next man up? We don't know. Those are the things we have to kind of keep track of at this point because if this next guy gets a hold of the ball, he's going to be a wide receiver one, wide receiver two. We just don't know who it is. So these next few games, my eyes are at these secondary third wide receivers for the Eagles because A.J. Brown's history does not prove that he can stay healthy the whole season.
0: Yeah, Devontae Smith's probably, you know, looking for more touches, looking for more opportunities. He's a great, he's a great receiver. And right now he's just not necessarily, it's just not necessary for him to get used to the way he was used to being used last year. And Mm -hmm. now with A.J. Brown, again, he's, he's just not, he's the compliment, right? He's, he's like the fourth option in that offense right now, which is such a nice luxury to have if you think about yeah. it, but um, it's just a fact—a matter of when the Eagles are actually in a desperation mode or when they're in a situation that's not ideal uh, to starting out two and zero. Let's see who they deploy outside of the usual suspects.
1: Nice. Uh, so next up, we've got the Saints at Carolina Panthers. The line is um, the over/under is at forty-one points, and uh, the Saints are favored by two and a half. Um, Saints need to just play better uh Winston needs to play better than he did last week against the Bucks. he had um three interceptions I believe and um they were he was sacked often six sacks and nine QB hits uh on Winston last game so um you know it in um in a matchup where they're going against Brian Burns who had two sacks last week um of the the Panthers did against the Giants this might be one of those weeks that Winston just gets wrecked again and unfortunate for uh the Saints and unfortunate for the receivers you know Chris Olave a guy who's targeted about 13 times uh and same with my you know Michael Thomas gets touchdowns but the the, the sheer volume that Winston gives to Olave is kind of uh, it's crazy. He's a rookie court, uh, receiver, but it seems like he just really wants to help him flourish. Um, when you have Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry, it's kind of interesting to see not see the ball not go to them and favoring. Uh, but nonetheless um it's gonna this these two teams i think are you know in in a similar situation um i I would say the saints have the better defense so they have a a little bit of a leg up in this uh game but the panthers could come out and win this game because of the resurgence of cmc kind of what we've been missing last year cmc had a pretty good game um last week uh, against the giants so if they utilize cmc uh you know go with uh you know give the ball to D.J. Moore and Robbie Anderson. I think that the Panthers has, have a very strong chance to oh, to win this game, um, but it's an even matchup. So uh, which defense will step up more is going to be uh, what I'm looking for in this game.
0: Yeah, Panthers, it's just sad for the Panthers, man. Their defense on paper is so much better than how they actually play. I mean, they gave up, I think, over 200 yards rushing week one to the Browns. I know the Browns are a great rushing team, but I mean, you're never going to be able to do that and win a football game, just sheer amount of yards, time it takes to get those yards and controlling the clock, if you will. Uh, I know that they held Saquon Barkley down a little bit more, but it seems like early on their run defense is struggling a little bit. Um, and so, I again, they have the pass rush. They have the cornerbacks. Like, I just think maybe it's the linebackers or, or kind of the middle of the field that seems to seems to be the weakness for the Panthers. And that's where, you know, I'm wondering if you're looking at the Saints and with how much Winston loves targeting Olave, that the tight end, Juan Johnson, is getting like 16% target share, too, right? And he's a middle of the field kind of guy. So they have so many weapons now. I just, it's going to be interesting to see if Winston won is healthy because it was so apparent that he wasn't healthy last week and that really, really hindered his performance. They had a good chance to upset the Bucks, But if he is healthy, then the Panthers are definitely the dogs because yet we're still, we've still yet to see the defense play up to their potential. We've still yet to see Baker do anything that really moves the needle more than Darnold has in the past, which is sad to say in the CMC usage. I know he ran for over hundred yards last week, but yeah. And I think what he caught four or five balls, but it's still not the traditional CMC usage. So again, something's got to give, uh, I was talking to my buddy, Jordan, who's a huge Panthers fan and him and his sister, who's also a huge Panthers fan have been arguing about whether Matt Rule deserves to get fired or deserves more time. And um, you know, I think, it's been like two, three years now where they have been incompetent. Reports have come out that like the locker room, he's lost the locker room. Like there's been so many things that have come out and you see the product that they put out on the football field, even with a quarterback that's supposed to be an upgrade over the shit show that they've had the past couple of years. And it still feels like we're watching the same Panthers on the field. So it's just, as a Panthers fan, it's got to be extremely frustrating to see that like year over year, they're playing the exact same way thinking that they upgraded at quarterback, right? Thinking that CMC is finally healthy, thinking that things are going to be different, that DJ Moore is finally going to get used as the true wide receiver one that he is thinking that Baker can actually push the ball down the field to Robbie Anderson to stretch the field. So it opens things up for CMC. Like the formula is there, but they're just not executing. So at the, at what point do you blame the coach? Because the coach probably takes the blame for lack of execution. So uh, I don't know. I, I'm super frustrated for Panthers fans because again, I just feel like there's so much to be desired and they're playing so shitty. Like it's just, it's not, the product on the field is not what I expect the Panthers to be playing like. And it's just incredibly frustrating. So I can't imagine how frustrating it is for Panthers fans. Honestly, if Jameis is healthy for the Saints, the Saints could run away with this game. That takes us to the Jaguars who are traveling to LA to take on the Chargers here. Line movements galore. When I posted this, the line was at seven in favor of the Chargers. Justin Herbert is the story here, whether he's going to play or not. Right now, DraftKings has the line as the Chargers favored by three. So I'm assuming Vegas knows something we don't. There wouldn't be a four-point drop in the line if the quarterback on the Chargers was going to play. So, you know, if you want to take the risk in hopes that Herbert does play, the Chargers at home is basically a coin toss. Getting the home, getting the home, uh, home minus three, basically, right? The home field advantage, if you will, basically becomes a pick 'em game. I would absolutely take the Chargers ten out of ten times against the uh, Jaguars if Herbert was healthy. But again. Vegas usually knows things a lot quicker or or, or has more insider information, if you will, than the rest of the public. So the fact that they are now only favored by three points at home tells me that Justin Herbert's probably not going to play. And the entire outlook of this game changes if Justin Herbert does not play because what does that mean for guys like Mike Williams, right? What does that mean for even Austin Eckler maybe? What does that mean for the Jaguars? Because all of a sudden they feel like they're in a position to steal a game against the Chargers team on the road that you know before the season you probably pegged this as a loss so again there's a lot to like on the Jags side because they showed some life they beat uh, you know not a great <laughs> a decimated Colts team although they did shut them down 24-0 so it's still impressive still impressive to hold the you know the best running back in football from last year to only nine carries so there's something to be said to build momentum and they're getting a decent spot if Herbert doesn't play here uh, to continue to build on that momentum I think the one thing that you know, even I don't have ETN, but I just want to see them use ETN more, so we're still waiting on him to fully be unloaded, even though Robinson's great and he's playing really, really well and he hasn't warranted losing touches. I just think ETN needs to be utilized on the outside or in the slot a little bit more if Robinson's gonna continue to be in the backfield. And can Christian Kirk basically put up a season that nobody expected him to, right? Through two games, he's having a monster season. Uh, so if he continues to play this way, He's building himself into a wide receiver one. So it's nice for Lawrence to finally have a weapon of that caliber. But I think to me, all eyes are going to be on the Chargers, the health of Herbert, because the health of Herbert is going to dictate not only this game, but the fantasy value of basically everybody on the Chargers side.
2: All right. Next up, we got the Rams at the Cardinals. Uh, This game is interesting. Um, Rams are favored 3.5, over-unders at 48 and a half. Last time they played each other in the playoffs, it was ugly for Murray. Um, you know, it's hard to say because it's a different team now. Uh, the Rams defense has gotten a little worse. Chargers are kind of the same on defense. The offense is a little iffy right now. But you know what, man? I know I know. it's not a big fan of Kyler Murray. But if Kyler Murray has that much time in the pocket, like there is no other quarterback I'm more afraid of than Kyler Murray If if, if you give him time. It's like... There's, there's no limitations to his game. He can throw a deep, just as good as anybody. He could throw medium routes. He can throw weird angle routes. He can run past you. He can evade all the tackles. He's like, he's what you want. Like, this is what I would want if I was building a team. I want a quarterback like this that has no limitations. Um, but, you know, the only way this offense can work right now is how they're, how they what they did last game. Because the, what they did last game is totally different than what they did the first game. First game you know, very standard play calls. Everything was standard. If you go back and look at last game, nothing about that game is standard. They had four people, four wide receivers on the left side, one wide receiver on the right side, and then they would hurry up offense and run that same formation and then do a screen pass off of that, right? So like they were just in their bag. They were just all up in Kyler's bag and just trying all kinds of things and mixing it up. And like I said, there's not another quarterback I'm really as afraid of as I am afraid of Kyler when things are just spread all over the field. You know, when you think of Mahomes, you have a picture of what he does, right? When you think of Burrow, you have a picture, you have a picture of everybody. When you think of Kyler Murray, you don't have a picture of what he does. Just think about it. Like when you think of Lamar, you think of these big runs, you think of passes to Andrews. When you think of Kyler Murray, there's nothing that comes into mind. There come, everything comes into mind and then nothing comes into mind. It's like, there's really improv. not like he,
0: It's straight improv. up improv.
2: It's straight up improv. And that's, how, that's when they're successful. And, um, and they, he didn't do much of that the first game. So there's a pretty clear cut, you know, answer for the Rams here on what's going to happen. And it's chaos. There's going to be chaos coming their way. And can they handle it? Can this Rams defense, who did such a good job stopping them last year. Can they do it again this year? I don't think so because the offense isn't clicking. That's going to put a lot of pressure on the defense. The defense basically just survived off of that um, Ramsey pick last week. You know, there's a lot of things that they still have to work on. This is not the same Super Bowl winning team that we saw. Maybe KOC did play a big role in that offense. You know, maybe a lot of these p- people that left the Rams, maybe they had a big hand in what, they, what happened. So the, the only way the Rams can really win this game is if they control the ball, if they establish the run game, which means well for Cam makers, holders. You know, there's a lot of people that have already gotten rid of Cam makers. Sweet Car said he's seen some Cam Akers in the open field in the free agency. Picked them up, the scooped league. his ass up. Exactly, man. So I, I I am expecting a big Cam Akers game. I'm expecting Cam Akers, like, let's be honest here, okay? There's no reason, if if Daryl Henderson was the answer, he would have been an answer three years ago. He would have been an answer two years ago. There's a reason Sean McVeigh is not like, here you go, Daryl Henderson, you play so well, you're now our starting running back. That's never been the case. There's always Malcolm Brown. There's always, like, um, you know, Todd Gurley, hobbled up Todd Gurley. Now there's Cam Akers. It's like, He's finding somebody to replace Henderson always. That should tell you everything you need to know. It is not a safe in Henderson world here. It's not a safe place to be. Like, again, I, I just explained why it's not safe. But they need to establish this run game. They need to do this because that's the only way they're going to get to use the game in their game script and kind of have control of the game. Because if the Cardinals take control of this game, this game's going out of hand really quickly. A lot of a lot of hurry up offenses, a lot of screen passes, a lot of a lot of anything goes and the Rams cannot go down that anything goes route. They need to keep pressuring Murray, force him to make weird throws, force him to take those sacks that are like third and 18 situations. And and, you know, they're going to be using uh, they may be playing without their best weapon, which is technically their running back, James Conner, who's a touchdown machine. If he's not playing, I'm not really too shy on starting Darrell Williams here. I know we're talking about the you know, Benjamin Darrell Williams situation. I don't really buy into the Eno Benjamin stock either. I, I think Darrell Williams has proven everything he's had to prove to be a solid backup. Uh, I know they split the carries as far as the running game goes, but this Rams game could very well end up being a passing um, fiasco. The only way the uh, the Cardinals could be running the ball against this Aaron Donald-led defense is if James Conner was there. But now it's kind of like, you know, Eno Benjamin's a smaller back. I don't, I don't know how much ex- experience he has against solid run defenses like the Rams. Um, And the Rams are coming off of, you know, a really bad loss and a really weak showing. Um, I expect the Rams to get better as the season goes, at least for the next couple of weeks until we really see their true colors. And I expect them to do this by running the ball and just creating third down opportunities for Cooper Cup um, and then getting the rest of their weapons involved. And, you know, this is what I'm expecting to happen. Let's see if the Cardinals continue this fiasco type of offense, because I think that is how they win this game. And I think the Rams win this game with the complete opposite. I think they win this game by controlling the clock, having more uh, rush yards than the Cardinals do, and then kicking a lot of field goals. I think that is the answer for these two teams is Rams scoring every opportunity to get, every drive has to end with at least a field goal. And then the Cardinals just maximizing play calling. Do not get sucked into this traditional style because they are not doing well in the traditional style. They need to expand the field and use all the variety of plays they have in their bag.
0: Yeah. They're at their best when Kyler Murray's in space, right? I mean, I I think that's when they're at their most defense doesn't know what to do situation. Like you said, if you're running a script for Cardinals offense that has Kyler Murray as if they have Jimmy Garoppolo per se, right? Like that totally doesn't maximize what Kyler Murray does. And so um, I think, like you said, Cliff Kingsbury comes under a lot of duress and fire because his like last seven seasons as a coach, the second half of his seasons have all collapsed like epically. So uh, this season needs to be different. Like you said, they need to just let Kyler be Kyler. And I know that's not just go play backyard football and not study any tape because, you know, of the whole contract situation. But with that being said, there is some truth to, he is at his best when that's what he's doing, yeah. right? He's at his yeah. best when he feels like he can do anything on the field versus like this is the play, this is the first guy you need to look at, and this is the second guy you need to look at. I think Kyler Murray is such a non-scripted quarterback that, like you said, if he's impro- improvising, that's when he's at his best, that's when the Cardinals are at their like, most dangerous, and that's when defenses don't really know what to do.
1: Awesome. All right. So next up, we've got the Falcons at Seahawks. Uh, which bird will come out on top here right now, Seattle is favored by one point and the over under is at 42. So Vegas is expecting a low scoring game for these, um, you know, suspect offenses or not suspect. We know that their offenses, their uh, deficiencies in their offense. Um, But uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup uh, just because they're very similar in being terrible teams. Uh, AJ Terrell, Uh, This guy who's a cornerback for the Falcons, um, not really starting off to a good season. He's uh, five targets and five receptions last game, two touchdowns given. So in the last two games, he's given up four touchdowns. Uh, he's Jesus. supposed to be the number one corner, <laughs> cornerback for the Falcons. And so he's going to be, he's going to have to guard, um, you know, DK Metcalf or, or Tyler Lockett, depending on what they decide to do, P- probably DK Metcalf, but you know, that's going to be an interesting matchup whether AJ Terrell ends up getting his ax straight or DK Metcalf just has a field day against this guy um, should be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, both, both pass defense are, are not doing well, which pass defense will actually show up is going to be interesting to see uh, on the offensive side. I already mentioned DK Metcalf, but Drake London and this guy's on the, on the come up, right? So uh, I think that he'll probably, I, I I wonder if he'll sort of decline a little bit as far as his targets goes and they'll get Kyle Pitts more involved, but you've got to like the volume that Drake London is getting. So if you drafted him uh, late uh, in the, in the draft rounds, uh, like t- ninth or 10th, maybe um, I'm not sure how quick uh, London went out, but you got to be pretty stoked about uh, what this guy is bringing to the Falcons team. Um, and yeah, you know, it's going to be two terrible teams going at each other. So let's see what, what ends up happening. It, it should be not that fun of a game to watch.
2: Um, just, to, just to kind of throw out there, I think Kyle Pitts had two receptions, both games and both games, he had 19 yards. Oh, wow. What are you doing? What are you He's doing?
0: You need him on your team. Consistent force. Two catches and 19 yards. It doesn't get any far. <laughs> I, I do.
2: I do have him on my team, and I did start him both <laughs> weeks. I, I'm really debating what I should do this week. The consistent part uh, of me tells me, to, tells me, I, I, I'll get, I'll get, I have a floor. I have a floor of two catches for 19 yards. But yeah, um, I, I'm going with some sneaky weapons this week on tight ends. Uh, I'll make that decision Saturday. But there, there's some, there's some brewing. There's something brewing.
0: There, it's like an oxymoron, it's the only situation it is like consistent and forced. He's consistent, but is he a force at two catches 19 yards? That's, that's debatable. But next no, gen I stats guess.
1: doesn't have him getting enough separation. So i I feel yeah, like they're wow. just kind of when you see Marietta throw to him, you can see like he's just not open, but they're still trying to force it to him. So
2: that's crazy. Um, it's that's it, yeah. insane because like if you look at all the you know the combine stats and like he, he is like a unicorn. He is like biggest unicorn of all unicorns just rare rare ability rare um you know everything but um
0: yeah i think that's the last thing anybody expected was that his inability to get separation in the nfl was going to be the difference i mean i think again there's just a there's probably a right way to scheme for kyle pitts from an offensive standpoint and i don't think that they've kind of figured that out yet i mean he's not i i don't expect him to be like a they're lining off as a traditional receiver and expecting him from the slot, right? Think of all the guys, receivers that line up in the slot. What are they all known to do? Run great routes, right? They're not the fastest guys. They just run amazing routes so they can create separation. So you're lining up Kyle Pitts against typically corners that play in the slot that their entirety of what they know to do is to move their hips one way or the other because usually slot guys are running quick quick slants or quick ins, in or out, whatever. And so if Kyle Pitts is getting in favorable matchups, I mean, at what point do you just line the guy up you know, as an X or on the, on the outside and have him just run his goes or have him run posts. But you you just, you didn't draft a guy fourth overall at the tight end position to play him as receiver, but give him mismatches, even though he's a unicorn. Like, it's just, it, it just does not make sense to me. And so, um, you know is is it just the fact that everybody that goes to the Falcons that's supposed to be like athletically su- supreme doesn't catch touchdown passes because they don't understand how to get big guys the ball in the red zone but that doesn't seem to be the problem because Drake London show it is is he's thriving and he's a big body and they know how to throw in the ball so um again it's inexcusable honestly to us to an extent it's not like they're targeting him 10 times he's dropping three of those passes and he's catching two for 19 if that was what's happening then that's all on Kyle Pitts right but you're an offense. You're, you're an offensive genius. Kyle Pitts' job is to play football. The coach's job is to scheme it to where he gets open. The quarterback's job is to throw the ball to where he's getting open. And so less on Kyle Pitts and more on, dude, like let's just get our shit together and get the best player of the ball. But this is kind of giving me deja vu because I feel like we had the same conversation at one point in the season last year and nothing ended up really happening. He caught one touchdown yeah. all year. So, um, you know, who, who knows if it's just Atlanta where, you know, big bodied receivers just and just don't catch touchdowns. I don't. I have no idea why that's the case. The best matchup of the week in the sense that it's two quarterbacks that are probably the best quarterbacks that we've ever seen play football. One, arguably the best quarterback of all time. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are hosting Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. This is exciting because, you know, two teams that are in very, very similar situations. The line also dictates that. The line is literally a straight-up pick game over (laughs) under 42. Two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, two of the five best quarterbacks of all time, and neither team has a receiver. So you're looking at uh, Godwin's out. Mike Evans is suspended. Julio Jones is is wide receiver one, right? How how many, how many snaps before he pulls a hammy and he's no longer wide receiver one. And then you're going to Russell Gage, Russell Gage, Scotty Miller, Cole Beasley, uh, Cameron Bray, you know, all, all that. And then obviously we know the, 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 the fiasco that is the Packers wide receiver. So this is such an interesting game where you have two old heads as quarterbacks. who are just so used to being really good used to having their old reliables, having weapons, having Evans, having Adams, whatever, you know, and now you're looking at two teams that basically are throwing to brand new weapons. So um, I I don't really know what to make of this game. Both defenses on paper are pretty good. Uh, Offenses obviously are lacking the firepower. The firepower is all in the running back position right now. Leonard Fournette's been a stud. Aaron Jones has been really good. AJ Dillon's been really good. So I'm expecting a very, very run heavy game. But the minute they start to run too much, you know, what receiver on what team is going to be stepping up? That's that's going to be the difference here is who are these quarterbacks going to trust to throw the football to when push comes to shove? Because the whole game is not going to go by with only running. They're, there's going to be situations where they're going to have to throw the ball. Who are they going to trust? So I think the fantasy points are going to come from the running backs. I don't think you're going to have to worry about Jones. I think you can probably even deploy Dylan. I think Fournette's going to get his. It's just, you know, if you're a team, if you're a fantasy team that had Godwin, if you're a fantasy team that had Evans, if you're a fantasy team. You know, maybe that had Lazard. I don't know. That had that had receivers that you were expecting to deploy. Are you now utilizing uh, Julio Jones? Are you starting Julio Jones? Are you maybe starting Russell Gage? Are you even that desperate that you're thinking about throwing Cole Beasley in there the first game he plays against Tom Brady? What do we know about Tom Brady? He loves his slot-white receivers, right? Slot-white, not slot-right. Slot-white <laughs> receivers. So slot-white receivers have been the GOAT for Tom Brady. See Julian Edelman. See Wes Walker. See freaking what's-his-face, uh, Chris Hogan, like, you know, he just makes nobodies into somebody. So uh, Cole Beasley has a really nice opportunity to shine the first game that he plays for Tampa Bay. Uh, but I think that's the biggest thing that I'm watching out for. These two teams match up pretty evenly. Quarterback, running backs are good. Defenses are relatively good. Uh, Packers are supposed to be a better defense, but it's all about the playmaking. It's all about the weapons on the outside. Who's going to make a play in this game uh, to be the difference? But, you know, in all honesty, the Buccaneers at home is a pick em with the situation that the Bucs are in versus the situation that the Packers in, I I would ride with the Buccaneers at home. I mean, you're getting them at home as a coin toss with Tom Brady as a quarterback. I mean, I think I'd take that seven days of the week.
1: Tom Brady does have a thumb. I think it's a thumb injury or some sort of injury in his finger. So something I think there's, he's still practicing, but uh, hopefully that doesn't affect him and also losing his receivers. So that doesn't affect him too much.
0: Yeah. That's two pretty bad, uh, that's a pretty bad formula or two things for a pretty bad formula <laughs> yeah. for a quarterback. Bad thumb and no receivers.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the, you know, like the protagonist of the NFL against the antagonist of the NFL. This is straight up like Luke Skywalker versus whatever. They, his name is. Yeah, but they're the- like
1: super old now. And they're like, <laughs> the forest, you know what I mean? Like they're like, super, <laughs> they're,
2: they're like on their canes. Like, are you, yeah. But what about Yoda, bro? All you are doing is using the force. Hey, Maybe that's true. You- bit this man speaks facts. facts these analogies i don't even watch star wars that's yeah that's the i was just
0: i was just gonna say you know as much of a pop culture whiz as i think i am star wars is like the one thing that i cannot speak to at all yeah I'm I, just,
1: for it I, I just don't think tom brady like i drafted him this this year and it's just been underperforming and i'm like it's like drafting peyton manning back in the 32nd like when the broncos won the super bowl it's like oh man what yeah. was i what did I do? So I feel like the I lean. I'm gonna lean Packers more than Buccaneers in this game.
2: show sure, yeah, Which way? If it you it. had
0: to pick one side, where are you leaning?
2: Like gun to my head or who I want. to be? Gun to your head. Gun to head. I, I I think Aaron Rodgers is just a better quarterback. I mean, and he has uh, weapons that he's kind of adjusted with, even though they're shitty. Like he's learned about them for about three weeks now. Versus yeah. Tom Brady, you know, like he, his offensive line is worse than Aaron Rodgers' offensive line now. And he's getting new receivers thrown at him. It is at home, and his defense is better. So, yeah, I mean, I understand why it's a toss-up. I just think – I want the Buccaneers to win, but I think the Packers
0: are going to win. Yeah, it's shaping up to be a good game nonetheless. Great matchup.
2: All right, speaking of great matchups, we have Kosh going against his dad's old team, the Broncos. So, we got 49ers at the Broncos. 49ers are favored by one and a half. Over-unders at 44. Um, man, I don't know. I don't know where to start. This is going to be an awesome game. I'm looking forward to it. I think Russell Wilson has had two games under his belt to kind of just get his cobwebs off. You know, like I I, I never hate pre- players for playing bad when they first start at a new team. I think that's something like we all need to kind of understand. I don't think a lot of people understand how hard it really is to jump into a new place and just play like a freaking Hall of Famer. That doesn't happen. That's not that's not a common thing. If you just go back and look at all the times it's happened, I'll bet you a lot of the times there's a lot of Uh, you know, rough patches to clean up. And I think that's what's happening here. And he already has a dub during that span, right? So, and then the first game should have been a dub if it wasn't for the goal line fumble. So it's, if we really look at what's happening in Denver, things are pretty good. I'm not, I'm not really stressing out over Denver's play, play style. And it's only going to get better. Russell Wilson is only going to get better. Um, And they're at home. However, like we mentioned very early on in this podcast, 49ers are also better. 49ers have gotten significantly better and they're, Arguably, their best players in now back. And uh, we don't know how healthy he is. We don't know how much he's going to play. But just that presence is going to dictate a lot of things here and there. Um, so the 49ers also have uh, the NFL's number one quarterback between the numbers. Most of his passes are completed. 58% of his passes are completed between the numbers. That's the highest in NFL history. The next quarterbacks are Philip Rivers, Cam Newton, and Big Ben at 51% right? Wow. And that, and now getting uh, Kittle back, that's just like Christmas for Garoppolo. That's, it's a literal Christmas. That's 7% higher than anywhere else on the field, anywhere else throws. It's coming near Kittle, around Kittle, or to Kittle. And um, who else lives around that territory? You know, the running backs. That's a lot of running backs get almost all their touches within the numbers. And then you have Debo Samuels, who is a running back and who also likes to go up the middle. So, you know, uh, All the signs point towards success for the 49ers against the Broncos. Broncos are not playing the typical Broncos defense we've seen uh, in the years past. The secondary is seeming a little suspect. It has a lot to do with Justin Simmons uh, being injured. He was the heart and soul of that safety of the secondary and not having him there dictate the whole thing. The captain, it it makes a big effect. It plays a big role in why they're struggling. Um, So now we have to decide, you know, the Lions only one and a half favoring San Francisco. Why, right? Why? And um, I think it just comes down to um, the the similarities between these two teams. Both are run first teams. One just has a slightly better quarterback at this stage of his career. They're both going to enforce the run and to set up the pass. And, you know, I, I, I think the Broncos are going to do a little bit better job of that than the 49ers, especially the 49ers being away. So it makes you wonder, is the 49ers defense that much better than the Broncos defense to shift that line over to, uh San Francisco's favor and I think that's where the answer comes in and I think it's a triumphant yes. I think the 49ers are actually the best defense in the NFL. There's a lot of talk about, you know, uh the Rams which is not happening right now. There's talks about the Bills. The Bills have lost a lot of players. People just don't know that because they don't watch these games. They just see the result. They just see the fantasy points. They just see the yards allowed. But you have to remember losing four players up from your defense is a big deal. And that's something the 49ers are actually doing really well with They're significantly healthy compared to a lot of teams. Uh, they have some of the best coaches in the NFL. They have their offense back who milks the clock, who turns the clock, who lets them stay off the field. The 49ers are healthier than any defense because of those reasons. They don't have to play as much because the offense is such an old school milk the clock and just throw, throw the ball to you know certain areas when you need it. And it works for them. So it, it's going to be a toss up. I think I favor the 49ers as well, just like Vegas does strictly because of the defense. But I am not counting out Russell uh, Wilson. He's got two games. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback, probably the best quarterback of the decade. And I would not be surprised if he goes off for four touchdowns and even like a a rushing touchdown out of nowhere. These are the type of games. It's it's Monday night. Russell Wilson's back. Let's just freaking watch some Russell cooking happen now.
0: Sunday night, but still nighttime.
2: Nighttime.
1: All right. Last game on board. We've got the Dallas Cowboys at New York facing the Giants. Giants are favored here by minus one points, and over/under is thirty-nine points, which might be the lowest of all of the games. Tied, tied for the lowest. Yeah. Tied for the lowest. Um. So it's kind of interesting because the uh, Cowboys are playing the unbeaten New York Giants, two and 0 haven't lost a game yet, and uh, we'll find out if they continue this streak, go on to three and Uh Cooper Rush is going to be the guy uh that's you know the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys and um you know they had a rush of unexpected happiness last week right so um uh, no pun pun intended but uh <laughs> it's gonna be you know it'll be interesting interesting to see if he like follows up with that um this week Michael Parsons this guy could easily be the defensive player of the year this year um especially yeah, now right especially since TJ Watt is injured um, he's going to miss a, a, a number of games. This guy could be the number one guy and uh, look for Cowboys to deploy pressure on Daniel Jones. Um, and, you know, Michael Parsons has, he's got two sacks each game. So this could be another game where, uh, you know, Cooper Rush, um, or not Cooper Rush, Daniel Jones sees a lot of sacks and he doesn't really get the ball off and doesn't get a lot of yardage. He needs help from Saquon Barkley. He's going to need help from his receivers. Uh, who it looks like Sterling Shepard is the number one guy there, uh, which if you got him, I think I'd be pretty ecstatic to have him on my team as wide receiver one. Um, you're going to want to see Zeke step up. Tony Pollard's kind of solidifying that role there. We talk about Zeke all the time and how he's kind of on the decline. Um, it's that past 25 age with these with these yeah. running backs. And Tony Pollard coming in, getting touchdowns. Uh, so the Giants are going to have to find an answer for for him, um, but all in all, this is going to be a game with a backup quarterback versus the New York Giants. Make what you want of that. Uh, it's going to be it's a, it's really a coin toss. I'm going to lean towards the Giants because I don't think Cooper Rush does does what he did last week back to back games.
0: Yeah, especially on the road in New York, it's tough for place to play. And um, you know, the one thing I will give the Cowboys credit for is their defense looks pretty good, man. Their defense looks pretty damn good. I know Trayvon Diggs was get, getting a lot of slack because of allowing a lot of yards and touchdowns with the interceptions last year. But so far, again, the defense, well, they they held... Go ahead.
1: That's, a, that's an interesting point because both Trayvon Diggs and Anthony Brown, their cornerbacks, um, gave up nine-plus targets last game in a total of 140 yards. So if, you know, Sterling Shepard and uh Kader's, tony step up and and daniel jones is able to connect with them because these guys are like and we we talked about it like they're home uh what's it called uh hit or miss right either they get the interceptions and then the defense turns around and has a great game or they allow a lot of yards so um if they're not getting ints then they're allowing a lot of points
0: yeah i mean granted they were playing against jamar chase and t higgins last week so a little bit of a different receiver matchup but even holding the Buccaneers whose offense has struggled so far week one, just 19 points. Um, Again, I think the defense has improved. Micah Parsons is the guy, right? Like see how much of a drop off when TJ Watts not on the field that the Steelers defense has Micah Parsons is a game changer, right? So the minute he can generate pressure, it makes everybody else on the defense seem like they're so much better because the passes are rushed to everything, right? Everything is exponentially rushed because he's so much faster and quicker than the tackles and creating that pressure. So uh, again, I think the Dallas defense has a chance to keep them in the game. It's going to be really about controlling Saquon Barkley. And, yeah, any time Danny Dimes keeps the read option and uses his straight-line speed, they're going to have to be able to uh, play some defense for, uh, on, in that regard. But I think – I don't know. I think as long as Cooper Rush protects the football, the Giants are the type of team that can get in their own way. So I could see the Cowboys stealing one here on the road. But that's why the line is so close, like you said, Shove it before – When we first started recording, a lot of these games just seem like you could flip a coin and see who's going to win because it's really, really hard to say one way or the other. But uh, it's a solid divisional matchup on Monday Night Football for sure. So uh, looking forward to that. That is it for the rundown, guys. That's the slate of games we have on tap for this week. Let's end the episode with Moneymaker. Moneymaker sits at a season total record of 2-2 and after the Bills covered the 10-point spread last week. This week, I am riding back on the same wagon not taking the bills but looking at their game bills dolphins we talked about it i'm gonna ride the over 52 and a half points i think the buffalo bills are a team that is on you know kind of on a mission if you will i don't see very many games where they're not going to score 30 plus themselves and i think there's a lot of games where they're going to score 38 to 40 points themselves so that offense seems like it's you know kind of Guns a blazing. They're the type of team that even when they're up a lot, they keep their foot on the gas. So it's not like, oh, okay, they're up a little bit. They're going to start running the football. No, it's it's still Josh Allen's show. So I don't think the shortage of points is something that's on tap for Buffalo. Again, we talked about their safety injuries, their defensive front. Uh, if their defensive backs are hurt, if either of the safeties, one of them even, or if both of them are out, the Dolphins shouldn't have trouble scoring points either. I think Jalen Waddle and uh, Tyreek Hill are going to have a lot of room to operate there. Even if Buffalo is up a lot and this is a blowout, and the Dolphins just have to get a lot of garbage points. That still bodes well for an over. So, uh, give me the over fifty-two and a half in that point uh, in that game. See a lot of points being scored there. That's the only bet I have. Uh, again, there will be some prop bets that I throw in at uh, Only Playbook on Twitter. So, be sure to follow us there and turn your notifications on. Uh, if you're watching, you're watching on YouTube. If you listen to us, you can listen to us on any podcast platform that you have. Uh, that's all we have for the episode. Enjoy your seat, enjoy your football weekend. Uh, we will be back next week to recap these games uh, and move on to week four. Have a great weekend, guys.